I just want to welcome you this morning to our, our Sunday morning service. And I want to thank God for the opportunity today to come and, um, and worship and to hear God's word. It's an absolute privilege to do this. Uh, we should never take it for granted, the opportunity to come together in the name of Jesus and to continue to hear God's word and, and continue to worship together as a church. You're very, very special to, to me as you are, to, I'm sure, to each other. And um, I, want to, I want to pray this morning that uh, you're, you're really blessed and you're, as your heart is open to listen to God's Word. I often say to you, the only thing that's going to stop you from hearing from God this morning is you. you know, if your heart is closed to the things of God or resistant to the things of God, you probably won't get anything out of this morning. But you've come for a reason. You've come for a reason. And I pray that your hearts are open this morning to listen to what the Lord has to say. Welcome if you're here for the first time as well. We we genuinely welcome you. We love the fact that you're here and that you're um, uh, um, ready, hopefully, to also hear uh, what God has to say to you. But we do welcome you to our service. Please come make yourself known even. Say hello. I'd love to meet you and um, say hi to you too. We sing some songs at church sometimes that might be for someone who's not really familiar with the Bible might sound really, really odd. You know, it can, some words that we use that you think, oh, what's that? What? That's a really... F- weird phrase sometimes and unless you know the bible well you, it can come across a bit like that we sang a song today i think it was the first song we sang today um it, it said something like and the lamb was slain you know the lamb was slain well that's that's pretty graphic the lamb was slain uh, but when we understand what that means that's um it's one of the most beautiful phrases that we can sing as a church because when the bible talks about a lamb of course it's talking about jesus uh, he's, he's spoken about as the Lamb of God because he came as a sacrifice. Why did he come as a sacrifice? Because there was a problem. There was a problem between us and God, and that was called sin. And something had to be done to fix that problem. Something had to be done to remedy that problem because there was no way that we could ever work our way back to God, yeah? There was no way. All the good things that we ever could do in life, even if we lived to 100 years old and every day we just did amazing things, it would still not be good enough for God because he's holy, and so there's a problem, there's this gap between us and God that God thought, you know what, I need to help them do this. I'm going to give my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to send him to this world and he's going to die on the cross as a sinless man, not because he did wrong, as a sinless man to bridge that gap between me and people. And if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we believe in the blood that he shed for us on the cross, that was done for our salvation. That was done for our forgiveness. That if we believe in that, the Bible says we have peace with God. And uh, when we sing that this morning as a church, that's a really beautiful um, declaration of, of that Lord Jesus Christ came to die on the cross. And I don't think about it just because of your sin. I think about it for my sin, for what I've done. And that he's reconciled. He's brought me back to the Father in heaven, which is beautiful, my creator. So let's praise the church. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word um, and for you that are here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the lamb that was slain. We thank you for Jesus who shed his blood, not because I was good, Lord, but because you're good and that you came to forgive us of our sins. And I just pray this morning that uh, our hearts are really open to hear what you have to tell us, the creator of this universe, the creator of our souls, that you are speaking to us this morning words of truth, that we may open our hearts to listen to them. You never fail us, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we just pray your blessing on us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you've got your Bible with you this morning, uh, some of you like to flick through your Bible, your tablet, as in the Old Testament times. 
uh, or, your, or your actual physical Bible itself. Uh, if you go with me to John chapter, John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read a passage in that, in, in that chapter in a, in a moment. So John chapter 4 uh, in the New Testament. One of the things that I really love about uh, um, Jesus Christ himself, probably not so much Christianity, because Christianity has become a whole, you know, it's become a, a, it means a lot of things to, to different people, or different things to different people. But what I love about Christ himself, what are the things of when Jesus Christ calls a person to himself, because he's still doing that today, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, Jesus Christ is still calling people to himself into a relationship with him. One of the things I absolutely love about what Jesus, when Jesus does this, is that he calls people to be real. He calls them to be very, very real. He doesn't call them to something that's not true. He doesn't call them to something that's kind of less than what really who they're supposed to be. But he calls them to be real with themselves. He calls them to be real with what he asks of them. He doesn't call them to some kind of version of Christianity, some sort of um, personal preference of Christianity. He doesn't call you and say, look, you know what? You've decided to follow me. Tell me, you know, let's negotiate. What kind of Christianity would you like? He doesn't do that. He calls people to be real. He calls people not to a minimum standard of Christianity. So if you, if you do this, somehow you're going to get through. You know, he doesn't do that. He so you know, doesn't negotiate some kind of standard that's just enough for us to follow Christ. He calls us to be real. He calls us to be true. And he calls us to follow him faithfully right to the very end. Otherwise, it's not Christianity. Why would he even have to die for this? And I love this about Christ because he, when Jesus Christ does this, what he has to do in order for us to become real in ourselves, he has to start to dig deep into our lives to reveal things about us that we probably don't always want to kind of let him know about. But he does this because he loves us. Because if we're not real with who we are and we continue to, to pretend of who we are or we, we hope that what we're living is going to get us through one day or we're, we're pretending enough that people may not find out, then we're living a life that's kind of not only fake, but it's not even free. We remain in bondage. We remain trapped to ourselves, trapped to our circumstances, trapped to life rather than being free that the way the Lord Jesus Christ intended us to be and then not only to enjoy life on this earth, but then to be guaranteed of life for eternity I don't know about you but I loved to play hide and seek when I was a child and then I used to love playing hide and seek with my children and of course one of the things about hide and seek of course is that you hide in the most you know, amazing places you become really really creative about where you, where you hide so that nobody can find you and the whole thing about the game is that you don't want to be found out and you get so creative because you don't want to be found out and I really think sometimes that's how people live life. People live life so creatively and they, they're able to, to create such incredibly and wonderful, authentic-looking masks on their face that they don't want to be found out. So they're living life hoping that never, never one day they'll be found out. But at the end of the day, they're only slaves to themselves. They're only slaves to themselves. They can't be free. They can't be free. I've got to present a certain persona. I've got to present a certain personality characteristic i got to have a certain smile on my face or, or come across in a certain way that I'm looking confident and, and, and bold or whatever it might be but people live their lives this way but in their hearts they're insecure and they're trapped and they're troubled and all these things because they're not free hoping hoping no one will ever find out until one day the best thing the Lord Jesus Christ can do is this 
He taps on your heart. He says, enough. What are you doing? You're not happy. You're not free. Yeah, sure, you're putting up a certain personality and a certain persona. You're wearing a certain mask. But at the end of the day, you know deep in your heart you're not free. And he does this. And I love this about the Lord Jesus Christ because he stops the games of hide and seek. He stops it because he wants us to be real. So I want to ask you this morning, who are you? Who are you? And then I'm going to add a word to that that probably makes, the, makes it just, it amplifies it heaps more. It says, if I said, who are you really? Like really, who are you? And rather trying then to run your life in a way that is kind of hoping that somehow you won't be caught out. If I do this creatively enough, if I can do it you know, cleverly enough, no one's ever going to really find out. At the end of the day, you need to be honest and say, well, who, are, who am I really? The good, thing, the good news is that God already knows who we are, doesn't he? You know, we can pretend between people, but at the end of the day, I don't care what people think about me. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what people think about me. At the end of the day, you're not going to send me to heaven. At the end of the day, you're not going to set me free from my misery. You're not going to do this. Because as much as I rely on people to do this, people are going to let me down. But I know the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be able to do this. And as long as I set my heart and hope on people to somehow make me feel better, I'm going to be bitterly disappointed all my life. And though we are to support one another, we're not dependent on one another for these things that only God can give. So God knows. So let's be honest with God this morning. The Bible says this. Let me read it to you. Not from John, but from Proverbs. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. I want you to listen to that verse for a moment. What the Bible, what Proverbs is saying here, who Solomon is writing with great wisdom, what he's saying is this, everyone, <laughs> it's really interesting, he says here, he says everyone's way is right in his own eyes. I ask you, what do you think you're doing with your life? Yeah, I'm good with what I'm doing with my life, I'm enjoying my life, I've got my career, I'm doing my house, I've got my family. Yeah, and everyone thinks his way is right or her way is right. But then he adds this little catch to it, he says, but the Lord weighs the hearts. The Lord really knows what's going on, how you're presenting and what's really happening, what you're doing and what's really happening. Here's the Lord weighs the hearts. And sometimes when we're under the preaching of someone or we're reading God's word or we're listening to something or we're just reflecting in life, in those moments, God's spirit speaks to us and says, you know what, I know what you're doing, but you're not doing what I'm asking you to do because I'm just weighing the hearts. Have you had that experience? God is weighing the hearts. There's a conviction or a reminder of something that needs to be done because he wants to wash away the facade and say, you know what, I need you to be real with who you are because I'm weighing up in an area that you're not weighing up yourself and you need to get it right. Then in Jeremiah it says this, when we think to ourselves, when we begin to think to ourselves, you know what, I've got it worked out. I know myself really, really well. I know my heart really, really well. And I know my motives really, really well. All of a sudden we get smacked in the face with this verse from Jeremiah when the prophet says this, the prophet of God says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I don't even know my heart anymore. 
And when I think to myself, I'm a really good person, he's a good bloke, and I'm really, you know, enjoy my life, and everything's going well, and people like me, and all of a sudden I must be in a good place, and God's saying, you don't know your heart. You don't know it. The only thing you can depend on at the end of the day is what I have declared to you in my word, and it's that that you can only trust, because that's been proven and tested over time. That is what's most reliable, and that is what's going to last forever. So what does God's word tell us? And thank God that God does this because otherwise in our lives, by nature, we will mask up the whole of our lives. We will dress up the whole of our lives, hoping creatively no one catches us. And God says, you know what? The heart at the end of the day, it resists me, it resists me, it rejects me. At the end of the day, even though it pretends to love me and pretends to acknowledge me and pretends to like me and say, oh, really, really, God? Yeah, because you don't know it. I know it. And so we come to a place that we have to be very real with who we are. And God is calling us to this. And he, when he calls, him, calls us to himself, he calls us to imitate him. He doesn't call us to imitate one another. He doesn't ask us to imitate one another. He's not bringing us into some social conformity, some sort of thing where we say to ourselves, oh, this is how Christians behave, so I should behave like this as well. That's not what Jesus is bringing us to. What he's bringing us to is for all of us to have our own individual personalities, but at the end of the day, we're imitating him. We're looking like him. We're living like him. We're speaking and acting like him because that's what he's calling us to, not to copy each other, but to rather reflect the Son of God who loved this world and gave his life for it. So at the end of the day, we're genuine to our faith. We're not one thing at home, yelling and screaming at home, and then we come to church like a lamb. Oh, then you come, oh, hello, brother. We're not like that. Because that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not faith. That's something else. Or we're not at work one person at work acting so much at work and, and doing all the things that we do at work and all of a sudden we come to church and we're so humble. As we said on Thursday night, Christianity never ever separates the sacred from the secular. It's one. We live our faith out wherever we are. We're Christ wherever we are. And until we come to this understanding or this realization, we live a life with a, of a mask, if you like. We, we are called to live faithfully every day of our lives. Now, in this chapter that I brought you to in chapter 4, we have an incredible story of a very, very genuine woman, a woman that Jesus spoke to from a Samaria at a well that Jacob had built many, many years before that. Now, it's an interesting story because Jesus is on a journey with his disciples. And those of you that know the story, you'll be familiar with what's going on here. Jesus is on a journey with his disciples and they're walking through the town and, and um, Jesus is feeling tired. And I love those little things when the Bible refers to Jesus like this because last, I think last week or the week before we heard that Jesus wept. Today, we, we, we hear in this passage here, we're not going to read it, but we, re, we know that Jesus was wearied. And I love this about Jesus. It's the humanity of Christ. It's the humanness of Christ that he's able to relate with us. He's, he's getting tired. So he's sitting at the well and his disciples go off to get him food, which is another interesting thing. Why didn't any one of his disciples stay with him? 
But that's another conversation. But his disciples go off and get food. All of them go off and get food. And he's there left sitting at the well. And he comes across this woman from Samaria. Now, it's the middle of the day. And we, we, we assume that this woman from Samaria is probably not a very popular woman. Probably not a popular woman because of her choices in life, her life choices. And probably not a popular woman amongst the other women because she came at the middle of the day to draw water, which is an unlikely time for women to come to draw water. It would have been more likely in the morning where it's less hot. So she's coming in the middle of the day and she's not a very, we're assuming not a very popular woman. She's sitting at the well. Jesus is feeling weary and he says to her, give me a drink. And she's like, whoa, what's going on here? You're a man speaking to me. And there's another, this was another social issue. That he, was, he, was, he was a man speaking to a woman publicly. And not only that, but it was a woman from Samaria. Wow, double whammy. And those are people who love to laugh at Christianity and say, oh, Christianity, it's just so conservative, so right-wing. Have no idea what Jesus lived, how Jesus lived. Have no idea how Jesus smashed the social norms of his day and turned upside down the expectations of society. Because you know why? Jesus never followed fallenness. You get that? He followed what was right. And if he saw something, he didn't care if it was a social norm. He didn't care if it was a social expectation. If it reflected fallenness, he confronted it. But if it reflected righteousness, he agreed with it. But it had nothing to do with societal standards. What it came down to was what was, God, uh, what was God's expectations around it. So here it was. Jesus is speaking in an unpopular way to a woman who's very unpopular, assume, we're assuming, and she's asking for a drink. And she, and, and, and she says, well, how, how are you talking to me? I'm a woman. I'm from Samaria. I'm, what are you doing? And he, and he says, well, if you, if you really know who's talking to you, you'd be asking for living water. And she says, whoa, living water. All of a sudden, she's interested in what he has to say. Are you, are you greater than our father Jacob? And she has this conversation with him, almost turns into some theological discussion with him. And then he says this to the woman, verse 13. If you turn to chapter 4, Verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Very interesting. He's having a conversation with her and she's starting to sense there's something a bit different about Jesus and she's starting perhaps to sense her own personal need and, she's, and he says to her, I'll tell you something, you drink this water, you drink this water and you're going to thirst again. What's he even trying to say that? Of course she's going to thirst again because in a day's time she's going to be thirsty again. No, he's not talking about a physical thirst. He's saying, you know what, I'll tell you the truth. If you continue to seek life and try to find, make sense of life and find satisfaction in life, apart from God, your creator, you're going to constantly have a thirst that never, ever goes away. If you're trying to make sense of life, you're trying to satisfy yourself with life, all the things that you're chasing, all the dreams that you're chasing, all the things that you think to be good and worthy of life, if you keep doing these things and leave God out of the picture, you're going to be thirsty and you're going to remain thirsty all your life. Because it can't quench your thirst. 
Your thirst to be loved, your thirst to be forgiven, your thirst to be satisfied, your thirst, your thirst to be peace, at peace. You can't meet these, you can't quench this thirst apart from God. And you're going to continue to try and lap up all sorts of things and people become very creative. I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol, whatever they might be doing, just relationships and pursuits and careers, all these things that people think, this is going to do it for me. It's going to meet that need deep within me. And God says, you're going to be thirsty. You're going to thirst again. He says, but if you drink the water I give you, if you drink the truth that I give you, if you drink the life that I give you, you'll never thirst. It reminds me, and I wonder if Jesus was trying to make reference to a passage in Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament. He says this, Isaiah says this, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he says. And you can have no money, but come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the prophet Isaiah, you know, about a thousand or so years before Jesus even spoke, said the same thing. If you're thirsty, come to the waters. Because thirst is driven by the separation of God and trying to find it in other places. Because if you're thirsty, come to the waters. And, and Isaiah adds a little bit to it. He says, you know what? You don't even have to have money. You can come by and eat. You can come as you are. You don't need to somehow work your way or have enough to prove that you are worthy of this water. Just come as you are and receive. If you've got no money, that's fine. Come eat, he says, and drink without price. You know why? Because the price was paid already. Jesus paid that price. And then Isaiah goes on and says... And why do you spend money for what is not bread? And he kind of challenges them a little bit. He says, why are you spending money on what not, what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Do you feel like you're doing that sometimes? You're spending your money on what's not bread, your wages and what's not satisfying. You're trying to hope that if you can earn enough to do this or earn enough to have this or earn enough to be able to, to be like this, then I'll, 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 I'll be better, I'll feel better. And then all of a sudden, you realize, man, I'm spending all this money. I'm doing all these things. I'm trying. It's like this vicious cycle, and I'm not any happier. He says, why are you doing that for? Why are you spending your money on things that isn't bread, your wages on things that don't satisfy? So he says this, Isaiah. He says, listen carefully to me. Listen carefully. You listen carefully this morning? Are you really listening carefully? He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight in abundance. Wow. So if you listen carefully, you'll listen to hear God say, come to me, throw away the facade, put away the mask, stop pretending, come and drink of the well that is found in Jesus Christ. And allow your soul to eat in abundance. Which is what Jesus said come to give life and life abundantly. So this woman is very, very curious at this point, And she's asking the Lord Jesus Christ, um, and she's having this conversation. And the Bible says, um, verse, verse 15, verse 15, going back to that chapter, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. Wouldn't you ask the same question? Give me this water that I may not thirst. 
nor come here to draw. How honest is this lady? This lady is being very honest with the Lord Jesus Christ. She's saying to him, Lord Jesus, she's saying to him in her heart and her mind, I'm thirsty. I know what you're talking about. I come here all the time and I get water and I try and live my life and maybe I even try and connect with the other women and I try and be nicer to them and whatever, but no one likes me and, and all those sorts of things. And she says, I'm trying. He says, I know what you're talking about. Nothing can satisfy me. And so she comes to him and says, give me this water. What a very honest lady. I, I'm telling you, Jesus, I haven't got it. And it takes an honest person this morning to listen carefully and say, I haven't got it. I'm running around hoping I can find it somewhere else. Even if I've been a Christian for so many years and yet I haven't got it, I don't know it because I, don't, I look for other things to satisfy. It's not only Jesus. And then, listen to this, verse 16. Oh, this is amazing what Jesus is doing here. He, gets, he digs a bit deeper. Remember I said to you right from the start, God calls us to be real. Real. And Jesus said to her, verse 16, Go, call your husband and come here. Might sounds like a fairly simple request. Maybe he's got something for her husband as well. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. <laughs> it must have to be one of the most honest comments, statements ever made in the New Testament. Jesus, I have no husband. Oh, she could have said, oh, uh, he's busy. Uh, look, you know, uh, we're having some issues and uh, it might, might be a bit hard for him to... I have no husband. One of the most profound things she would have said, making herself completely vulnerable, completely um, uh, open to the things of the Lord. And when we continue to try and protect and hide and preserve and our pride gets in the way, there is no way we find ourselves overcoming our circumstances and particularly our sin. But she makes herself completely vulnerable. And honest and says, I have no husband. Because of course she didn't. She had gone after man, after man, after man, after man, looking and hoping that she'd be satisfied with something. Jesus said to her, sorry, the woman said, I have no husband. Humble and honest. And Jesus said to her, next verse, uh, it's a continuation. You have well said, I have no husband. You're right. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. <laughs> and what I love about the way Jesus discusses and shares these things with people, the woman would have come to a place in her life and she realized, whoa, this man knows my life. She would not have been turned off by what he said. She would not have been turned off by how he said it. But she would have been drawn to him because she needed to get out of her circumstance. And everything she was doing to try and find satisfaction in life wasn't working for her. And peace wasn't working for her. Because you've had five. You're right. What you're saying, you're being really honest with me. You're being really humble and you're being really honest with me. And on that basis, I think, in verse, 20, in verse 26, he declares that he is the Christ. 
quite a unique thing that Jesus did on this earth, but he declares it to her. And then in verse 29, she's declaring it to the rest of her community. That's how much she begins to change. What I love about this interaction is how honest Jesus is with her to dig and get to the place where you, me, want to cover. Because he knows that's what's going to set her free. And how real she is to say, you're right, Lord, this is where I'm at. In order for there to be salvation. Brothers and sisters, friends, you know we're all like this woman, don't you? Anyone who sits here this morning and thinks, oh, I'm not like that woman. Oh, shame on her. We're all like this woman. The Bible says in Psalm 34, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves those who have a contrite spirit. You understand that? The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, to those who have a contrite spirit. Some suggest that word contrite means crushed. You know, you crush something into powder. The Lord is near to those. Why? Not because they're crushed and they're hurt and they're afflicted, not in itself, but that they've brought themselves, they've come to a place where they are absolutely honest before the Lord and they realize they are nothing without Him and they're coming and calling out to Him for His salvation. And the Bible says, you know what? The Lord is near to those. When circumstances of life break us and then we call out in a place of, of utter need and dependency on the Lord, He's there. But when we say, no, 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 we'll, we'll be fine, we're okay, we're strong enough, we're, we're, we're good, we're, and, and we resist God, then for sure, pride will destroy us. Pride will destroy us. And if we can come to a place of humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I'm not where I need to be, but this is where I have to be, we humble ourselves and we come accepting the gift of God to, to restore and to heal and to set free, then we come and receive because God resists the proud, the Bible says, but he gives grace to the humble. And if you humble yourself, the Bible says, you shall be exalted wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a natural mechanism that allowed us to know when we're not telling the truth i mean god's given us one it's called the conscience but you can't see my conscience but wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a physical mechanism that would tell someone if we're not telling the truth i mean imagine if you were pinocchio oh how you going oh really good really good Whoop. are you going really good Oh, how's life been? Oh, it's been amazing. <laughs> you having a good day? Oh, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, work's fantastic. Churches are great. Imagine we had a physical, and then all of a sudden, you know what, if we, probably if we had a, a nose like Pinocchio, there'd be a lot more people who are satisfied and set free. Because you'd be honest. You'd be honest. You see, the Bible says if you humble yourself, you'd be exalted. It's like when children when, and parents ask them a question, did you do this? Oh, no, 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 I didn't do this. Uh, no, not really. You know, you know it's, a, it's a lesson we learn as adults. Probably some adults don't learn it very, very well. But the sooner you learn this lesson, the better children. The sooner you learn this lesson, the better. Just, just be honest. <laughs> it's a lot more free freedom in being honest than trying to cover up. So God is calling us, Lord Jesus Christ is calling us uh, to, to this place where we can humble, humble ourselves in order to be exalted, to remove, if you like, the destructiveness of pride. Romans 5 says this, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For rarely for a righteous man will someone die. And yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what, Romans is, what Paul is telling us in Romans here is this. You know what? You might see someone dying on behalf of a good man. Maybe. I'll die for him because he's my king. I'll die for him because he's my friend. But you don't really see someone dying on behalf of an evil man. Jesus had the opportunity to do that physically when Barabbas was released and he also had the opportunity to do that spiritually for us. He died on behalf of people who have done wrong by him, who have spat in his face, who said, I don't want you, I'll live life my way. I need to be left unsatisfied. And that's why Jesus says, and that's why he declares that we, all of us, are in the same boat. And that boat is sinking and on its way to hell. But the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what I love about God, when he calls us to be real, he calls us to a place where we cannot hide from him. Wouldn't it be great? Where are you going to go? The Bible says, where are you going to go? Wherever you go, I'm there. You can't hide from him. Yet we become very creative in hiding from other people. You know, in the Old Testament, Israel were looking for a king. They first thought they'd pick Saul, their first king, because Saul was very, very tall. He was taller, the Bible says, than anyone else, and he was handsome. That makes, that makes the qualities of a good king. Boy, I'm glad you don't make reference to the church like that. I'd have no go. <laughs> they chose a king that was handsome and tall. Wow, he's the right guy. Because that's what people do. They look outwardly, don't they? If it's all good outward, it must be all good. But what God does is, no, 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 no. So when Samuel was out looking for a king, and he had to choose between, uh, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was seven brothers, God says to Samuel this, don't look at his, because sorry, after king, after, after they need to replace Saul, they need to find another king, God says to Samuel, don't look at his outward appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. In other words, don't look at the one that you think outwardly looks like a king. For the Lord doesn't see as man sees, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Everyone today, God is looking at your heart. He knows what you're thinking, you're feeling, you're motivated. You might be thinking to yourself, this is so ridiculous what this guy is saying. But God's seeing it. And he still loves you. And he's calling you. You might be thinking to yourself, this is hopeless. I've tried so many times. And God's saying, well, you haven't tried it my way. You need to try it my way. You might be thinking to yourself, I feel a complete amount of guilt and shame over the number of things I've been doing for a number of years. And God's saying, you know, it's not, it's not too much for my blood to wash you. You might be thinking this morning, there's, there's this one thing I've just done recently that if you knew about, you'd be absolutely um, horrified and it's not too big enough for the blood of Jesus to forgive you. Oh, you, you don't know that I've been pretending. I, I act like a Christian, but really deep down, I don't, I don't do anything like a Christian. You know, I hardly pick up the Bible. I, I, I don't ever, ever share my faith. I, I, don't live, I don't live in obedience. To, not, big, not too big for the Lord to forgive. But if you would come humbly this morning and honest and saying, Lord, this is where I'm at. 
and the Lord will set you free. I love honesty. It's one of the big things, I think, in Christianity that we have to be. And not be afraid of or embarrassed of each other and saying, oh, I better not say that because if I say that, then what are they going to think of me? Who cares? Let me finish with this. Why don't we start letting ourselves know? <laughs> I'll see if I can try and explain this. Why don't we start letting ourselves know what God already knows about us? The Bible says this in Psalm 51. When the psalmist was feeling absolutely smashed by his experience, he was just overwhelmed by the state of his being. He was not happy with where he'd got to. He said this, he said to the Lord, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you hear that prayer? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You're not worried about what I think about you. You're not worried about what the others are thinking about you. You're more concerned that God, your creator, that you can say quite confidently, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That you're in a place that even if it's not right, God knows about it and you're believing, you're believing that God's going to set you free. But you're not pretending. You're not going off saying and living your life saying, well, you know what, uh, this is just what it's going to be and I'll just accept it. But you're trusting and believing that if you're going to be real in Christ, that he will set you free. So his love deserves our honesty. Because his love will set us free. And this woman experienced this in the Bible. She experienced through her openness and honesty before the Lord that she went and was able to declare to her whole community, come and see, come and see this man. Because she was prepared herself to be in a place where the Lord was able to help her. You listen carefully this morning. Are we willing to respond this morning? God is speaking to a place where no one can see, but only you and him. I'm going to pray for us this morning. I'm going to ask the Lord to uh, work in our hearts. Let's, let's bow our heads this morning. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the Lord God Almighty to work in our hearts in a way that um, allows us to not only see our lives through the, the word of truth, but also that we would see others through the eyes of Christ and that we would stop uh, anything that would cause a hesitation or judgment and we would be in a place that we would be set free ourselves because we come and we uh, come to a place of humility we, we, we throw out pride. We come to a place of humility, allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to work. Perhaps for some of you, once and for all, through the power of his grace, through the power of his love, and through the word of his truth, perhaps once and for all, that you would deal with the things that you know ought to be dealt with. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for this morning. I want to thank you so much for your word that is so truthful.
It's so truthful, Lord, that it cuts sometimes in our hearts and it reveals things about us that we don't want to reveal or have revealed. But this is good for us, Lord, for every time you reveal, you do it to heal. And I thank you for this. And Father in heaven, I pray this morning that uh, wherever we are at, wherever we are in life's journey, that we would stop and think and remember that you must be Lord of all, that you must be Lord of everything, whether we are home or at work or at church or wherever we are, whatever we're doing, Lord, that we must have you as Lord of everything. And Father, if there's anything in our lives where that's not the case, I pray you change that. Here we are, Lord. Here we are. And Father, if there's anyone among us this morning who, who's yet to know this incredible love, this love that speaks to our hearts and sets us free, the love that was shown on the cross to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to offer us the quenching of our thirst. I pray this morning, Lord God, they would come to know that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.